Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Jen Etherton, head of sales from Clara. Hey, Jen. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Of course. So before we jump into today's topic on building success metrics for your early sales team, Mm -hmm. can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Clara and what ultimately brought you over there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a little bit about myself. Uh, my background, I, I started out as, as an account executive. So I've done everything from inside sales, to outside sales. Um, I've been the first sales hire for startups uh, and then later transitioned into focusing more on building and scaling sales organizations, specifically for early stage companies. Um, and now, uh, to your point, I'm at, I'm at Clara, so I'm the head of sales at Clara and at Clara, we're revolutionizing, uh, communication for everyone involved in the patient's journey and the, how I got there. So I actually was not looking at the time. Um, I, I had no intentions of leaving my current company, um, was really loving what I was doing. But a mentor of mine reached out to me and said, hey, there's this there's a company called Clara. It's healthcare technology. Um, they're doing really cool stuff. I think that you should speak with them. My response was, okay, I know nothing about nothing about healthcare. I'm also not looking for a job. And, um, you know, his reasoning was it's 10 minutes, grab coffee. The worst thing that happens is that you've just made an excellent connection. I said, okay, great. Um, and after meeting with, with the founders, Simon Lorenz and Simon Bowles, uh, I just, I really, really connected with them and their vision um, to make healthcare completely patient-centric. Um, and the more and more I was learning about Clara and the vision and, and where I thought the company could could be and, and hearing from the, the founders about where they thought the company would be. And how big were they when you had this coffee meeting? Um, they were, they were, they were, relatively small. I mean, we're not much larger now. I think that there might have been uh, 10 or so people in the New York office and maybe five or so in, in Germany. So what did the sales team kind of look like at that point when you were having that coffee meeting? Yeah, I mean, so it, it was quite small. Uh, I think that there might have been four reps at the time, um, but they were generating revenue. Uh, so so that was great. Um, when I looked at the model, I definitely saw a lot of areas for improvement, which for me is exciting because they were already doing a decent amount in revenue month over month. And then I see all of these areas of efficiencies. And so I I was pretty excited about taking that on. Um, And then ultimately what I was tasked with was coming in and really evaluating um, the the current sales process, um, the current team, and then just building upon that. Cool. So, so still early days, mm-hmm. uh, which is very relevant to our topic mm-hmm. today. So before we jump into that, uh, our, our kind of Bowery Capital icebreaker, mm-hmm. what is one thing that no one listening right now knows about you? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, when I was maybe 10 or 11, I was a contestant on the Nickelodeon show Slime Time Live. No. Yes. How did this happen? So it's really interesting. Uh, so we were we were on my family were on vacation. Um, we were at Universal Studios, and then we saw this sign um, where you could audition to be a contestant. I on Slime vividly Time remember Live. watching Slime yeah. Time Live. It, it was the best. And so I thought, wow, this is so cool. I want to audition. But 
it's a true audition. I think that I was one of like 40 other children and they had us sort of lined up and they, they would make you, they would ask you different questions and you'd have to show them how you would, you know, cheer and scream and, and show excitement. It, it was, it was a little strange, but, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately ended up being chosen. I got to go and sit in a green room and it, it was, it was pretty cool. I did not get slimed. Um, that is incredible. Awesome. Yeah, it was interesting. Oh my gosh. That might be a, a top contender for best icebreaker <laughs> this year. Um, well, I'm so excited to chat with you about this topic because I think, you know, something we talk to our founders at Bowery about all the time is setting up your reps for success and putting realistic goals in front of them. Mm-hmm. And I think with salespeople, mm-hmm. especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's easy to just say, here's a quota, here's a number, mm-hmm. go hit your quota. Um, but in the early days, especially, sometimes you don't have all the data you need to set a realistic quota. And so you want to be able to build other success metrics to keep people motivated and incentivized. So kind of shifting away from just a quota number. Um, If your company's still early, you don't have strong enough metrics in place yet to determine what that OTE should look like. What are some other metrics you can focus on or things that, that you can give them to work towards? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so a couple of things. Um, I, I think that, you know, first make sure that the goals that you're setting are aligned with the stage of your company and your business needs. Um, so an early stage company, the business needs are probably around customer acquisition. Um, so goals should should be aligned with that, right? Like signing on new customers. Uh, and once you've proven that you can acquire customers, it's going to be important for you to to prove that you can retain those customers. Um, so maybe shifting goals to, to that. Uh, so customers that sign on, it's really not a win until they've gone live or until they've they've met some sort of leading indicator for success. Um, your your company will probably quickly grow into to really focusing on customer commit. So maybe you're considering collecting you know, the full payment for the year upfront versus monthly. Um, but I think that one thing that a lot of startups forget is to start with the top of the funnel. Yep. Um, so that should be the first thing that you look at, because at the end of the day, if the leads are not there, then the sales will not be there. So you can set metrics all day long. You can say, here's your quota. This is what the goal is. But if you don't have the leads, then, then none of it really matters. So just make sure you're starting there. Got it. I think that's that's great advice. Um, kind of honing in on that even more mm-hmm. specifically, say you've started to segment your team and mm-hmm. you've got uh, maybe a couple SDRs focusing on leads at the top of the funnel and yeah. maybe one or two AEs focused on closing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you change those success metrics then based on their segmentation and, and based on their roles? Yeah. So when setting, when setting goals and and looking at metrics for your SDRs and for your AEs, at the end of the day, they need to lead to the same goal. Um, so for SDRs, I have made this mistake in the past where I made their, their goals based on meetings that they're scheduling. Um, but that doesn't, you know, they can schedule a hundred meetings for you and Quality if, only, control. Yeah, if only 50 of them are great, then do you end up with the, the yeah. revenue that you need? Right. Um, so making sure that both teams are ultimately hitting, uh, the, the overall goal that you're trying to achieve, which is, is usually like revenue. Um, 
And then I think that you can you can often use activity goals to drive the outcome that you need. So if you if you have had enough sales or enough activity with the company and you only need maybe 90 days, two quarters of this information, you can really start to learn, okay, what's the science behind it, right? Like how many how many calls are my SDRs needing to make in order to get that one meeting scheduled? How many meetings are they needing to schedule in order for the account executive to pull five qualified meetings from that to enter into their, their pipeline? Um, and then the same thing applies for the account executives, right? So how many demos are they needing to do a day? Um, what Understanding their conversion rates and you can, it's never too soon to start measuring those metrics. Um, what you want to avoid is expecting industry metrics, industry average metrics um, too soon. So your, your, your new team is not going to convert at 20% right off the bat. Um, but yeah. No, and, and I think being data driven from day one is so important. And I love that you touched on that. What, I mean, do you guys use Salesforce? What CRM are you using? Yeah, Salesforce, yep. yep. Okay, so early days. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if this company doesn't even have Salesforce in place? How often should they be tracking these things? Yeah. Um, you, you know, how often should they iterate on them? Maybe they go, holy cow, this is totally off. Can they change it in real time? Do you wait till the end of the quarter? When do you change? Yeah, I mean, so... A company doesn't have to use Salesforce in order to track metrics, but I believe that every company should be tracking it in some way, shape, or form. So whether you're using a a different type of CRM, pipe drive, something along those lines, um, you do want to make sure that you're tracking this information and accurately tracking this information. Otherwise, you're you're starting to make decisions based off of feelings. Like, I I felt like we did this really well, or I feel like when we do this, this converts um, versus making data-driven decisions. So the sooner that you can start tracking this um, in an efficient way, the better. Um, yeah. Great. I love that. So let's let's kind of pivot away from just revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something that gets thrown around a lot, especially for sales teams and I guess giving them control of the controllables in the early days is this idea of spiffs. Um, so other things to keep them excited, motivated, maybe motivated about short-term goals. Mm-hmm. Any recommendations for folks who have never built spiffs before and might be thinking about it? Yeah, it doesn't always have to be money. Um, I know that sort of it can sometimes be seen as the easiest, the easiest solution. Oh, give them a, give a salesperson a couple hundred dollars and that will surely motivate them. It doesn't always work that way. So what I found to be really effective is, um, I sit down with every single employee and, and understand exactly what motivates him or her. Um, because what you'll find is that your employees, they're each motivated by something maybe slightly different than the other. Um, some of uh, some some unique ways that you can motivate your employees aside from just cash spiffs would be development plans. Um, you know, people enter startups a lot of the times because they want access to career opportunities, and so so putting a plan in place that develops your employee towards whatever their career goals are can can be pretty empowering um, and can drive the revenue numbers that you're ultimately hoping to achieve. Um, let's, let's kind of stick with that because I think that's an interesting uh, topic, you know, so there are plenty of people who want 
career growth. Yeah. They don't necessarily know what that career growth looks like. That's so true. So how do you build a career ladder for, for your sellers specifically, um, that is good for them, but Mm -hmm. also good for the company. Uh, and, and how do you get them ready, I guess, to climb that career ladder if we're going to stick with the analogy? Yeah, it's so true because <laughs> because every you know everyone wants to sell the big deals and they don't really quite know what that means or everyone wants to manage and they don't really quite know what that means. Um, I have found that setting expectations is key. I have made the mistake in the past where I um, you know sat down with every employee and the majority of them want to be managers and I say great you hit your numbers you're going to become a manager one day that totally makes sense but it doesn't make sense because what you what you find is that you'll have these rock star salespeople who crush their numbers and then you you kind of think okay would this person make a great manager or not and maybe the answer is no and then now you're kind of backpedaling and and now you're you're and they're unhappy because they're, they're unhappy. not seeing success. you're probably going to lose one of your top performers so i try and set very re- like very realistic expectations when when whenever i'm speaking with my employees and it all starts with the growth of the company right so if our company is not going to need a manager in the next year just based off of you know how we plan on scaling then i'm not going to put that in the career path and i would tell my employees like look this is not um in the plan for this quarter or for this year um so I think it's first making sure that they understand what the plan is for the company, what the strategy of growth is, and then setting expectations uh, for them, for themselves, right? So it's not just about hitting your revenue goals. That's your that's your job. So do that first and then do everything else next. So you hit your revenue goals. You need to be able to check that box off. And then there's other things that you need to start showing if you ever want to be a manager. Maybe it's leadership skills, um, analytical thinking. Um, and I also have found that uh, development plans are really great uh, to not only motivate employees uh, who want these career opportunities, but it's also great to kind of give them a peek behind the curtain if you will yeah um and and what's to get really granular yeah. what's in these development plans is this like a template that you have built out mm-hmm. and and you guys build it out together or mm-hmm. fill it in together what does that look like yeah so uh, I do try and leave some creativity to it um so that the the employee whoever it is feels as though he or she is is involved in in the plan um but I do certainly drive it and I do have a pretty standard process behind it because I want to measure it, right? Like this will not be my one and only employee who wants to be a manager. So let me, let me measure this and, and, and track it. Um, how I'm approaching it currently and I found it to work pretty nicely is, okay, um, let's say you want to, to be a manager. Well, every month you have a different responsibility or an area of focus, if you will. So aside from doing your job, which is hitting your revenue number, we're going to sprinkle on this one additional responsibility that shouldn't take up too much of your time. Um, and it's just so you can see what it feels like to, to be a manager. So an example of this would be, um, you know, managing people and maybe mentoring. So I've got an employee right now. She wants to be a manager and say, great, let's make you a mentor. Um, just meet with this new hire once a week for 15 minutes. It's just a coffee check. 
your your role there is really supposed to be to give this other employee advice, answer questions, um, and, and sort of uh, be the person that they can turn to, right? Um, and then the next month, maybe the area focuses around training the sales team. And uh, you put together a presentation, you train the sales team, but then you've got to also test, did the sales team retain what you trained them on? This model is brilliant. It, it, it's it's actually proven to be really effective. Well, um, you put them in, their sh- in the shoes that mm-hmm. they want to be in or they're going to be in, mm-hmm. and they can also then self-select out if they realize, hey, this actually isn't at all what I want to do. This is not what I thought management was. And that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens, especially with the management path. Um, Because a lot of times, you know, salespeople, they think of management as being this possibly like, it's just coaching, right? Like my job is just to coach and to be on calls. Um, but they oftentimes, you know, don't realize that there are some hard conversations that you have to have with managing your hiring and firing. Um, you maybe hear a sales call that's not great. And you've got to give criticism um, to somebody who was maybe previously your peer. You don't have all the control over your number anymore. You don't have all the control over your number anymore. And, and that can be maddening in, in a way. Um, and then there's also like some, there's the, the data part to it, right? Like you've, you have to understand what reporting looks like as a manager and what those metrics are and what they mean. Um, so it, it, it's really interesting, but it is definitely effective. It's it's not only motivating your employees, it's allowing them to potentially self-select out if it's not something that they're interested in, but it's also developing a potentially great candidate for the management role that will eventually open. Yep. No, and, and I think one of the draws for a lot of people in going to startups is the opportunity for that mm-hmm. faster career growth than if they went sure. somewhere else. Sure. Um, you know, you're drinking water through a fire hose. So you yeah. naturally just learn more every day because there's more to do at a smaller company. Mm-hmm. Um, what about for folks who maybe are in a sales role and they're saying, you know, I really love marketing or mm-hmm. maybe account management is right for me. Have you ever created, I guess, career ladders, in different into different areas of the business and have you seen that be successful or any thoughts yeah I mean so I I think it can definitely be successful you if you have a great employee you have a great employee right like it's if somebody has great work ethic you don't want to lose that employee. And if, if they start out in sales and realize, hey, this isn't for me, I eventually want to be in marketing or I want to do product, I think that's okay. Um, and your best employees are going to be the people who, who maybe want to, to do this transition. They're going to be the people that come to you and they're honest about it. And they're not going to expect to make the move that day, um, but they're willing to work through a transitional period with you, um, which is something I've done in the past. You know, I've had employees who wanted to, to maybe move to another department and they were open to the transition and they understood this might take some time, right? Cause I've got to backfill your position, ramp that person. You might be looking at six months and the right kind of employees will, will be okay with that. Yep. So kind of getting back to, I could go off on this tangent all day about growth and, and career development, um, getting back to kind of building these success metrics. So obviously compensation is, mm-hmm. is a good one. Um, giving them a career path is, mm-hmm. is a great one. Um, you know, I think giving foresight or giving, giving a seller more ownership responsibility into being part of the founding team can also be really mm-hmm. incentivizing for people. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe touch on that? And and I think equity, frankly, ties into this too, mm-hmm. um, as a motivating factor. 
what are your thoughts around that as as a lever for driving success equity equity yeah and and just you know really giving them that feeling of ownership for being there early absolutely um I think it can be incredibly powerful if it's done in the right way. Um, what I think doesn't work is when you hand out equity for the sake of handing out equity. And, and, and maybe as a founder, you just are under the assumption that everybody understands what that is. Uh, so in order, in my opinion, in order for equity to, to really be a motivating factor for young startup, like, you know, they're hungry, they're young employees, um, they have to understand what equity is, what it means, what it could potentially mean for them down the road. And the moment that the employee that they understand, wow, this is what this could mean for me two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, it's like a light bulb, right? It it just turns on. Um, and I think that that's great. Um, but I want to go back to what you were saying about, uh, making making employees feel empowered and like they're part of the founding team. I think that this can be incredibly motivating to to your your first round of hires if you will. Um I think it's really important for employees to to know what the vision of the company is. So it's important for founders to talk about the, to have a vision, first of all, to have a vision and a mission for the company um, and to talk about it and to make it part of the norms for the company. Um, If employees can say, okay, this is what I'm doing today. And if I put in this work and our company is successful, this is what I could be potentially doing a year from now. That's incredibly motivating, and they will they will certainly work towards that goal if they know what what the potential outcome is. And I would say, you know, if they feel like they're truly adding to that outcome coming to life, um, being being a part of that team and feeling mm-hmm. that sense of ownership and frankly, like camaraderie in in some ways, yeah. I think is very empowering for people, especially if they're early in their careers mm-hmm. um, and. I think we've talked about this on the podcast. Being an SDR is a grueling it's job. Hard. And so, so hard. <laughs> I mean, and I tell I tell this to people all the time about um, SDRs and about salespeople in general. Like, think about what their day-to-day is like. Um, in SDR, they're on the phone and sending emails all day. And they make 100 dials to get hung up on 99 times. Uh, it, it's a, it's a very tough job. And, and even for salespeople, you know, it's, it's one of those roles where you don't always know the money that you're going to be making that month or that quarter, because you, you're confident in your abilities that you're going to hit your goal and make your commission. But there's always that slight bit of uncertainty, um, that obviously causes a little bit of stress. So I, I always take that back to, to founders or execs, like, you know, think about what their day to day is like. It's tough. It's so true. It's so true. Um, well, this has been awesome, Jen. Any tips or tricks for people listening, maybe first-time founders that are, are building out their first sales team? Yeah, I mean, my my tr- my tip is always mentorship. I'm a huge advocate for it, um, especially in the startup world, especially if you're a first-time anything. And even if you're not a first-time anything, um, it, I think it's always important to have mentors or to have somebody in your network that you can um, just bounce ideas off of that can give you um, very honest advice. I know that for me, it's been 
a really a really essential part of my um, career path uh, is is having mentors that I can I can go to. So I, I'm always an advocate for mentors. And kind of with that, would you recommend that founders, as they're building out these teams, try to connect people on their teams with mentors, or is that an individual thing where you just kind of have to own it and go find your own mentors? Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts? I think that if the founders have the connections, then yeah, absolutely. You know, oftentimes founders, they're speaking with the investors um, one-on-one more often than maybe the executive team is. So if you have the connections, absolutely. But I am also an advocate for for, for going and finding your own mentors. In fact, um, th- there are some roles where it's, it's a requirement of mine. Um, so sales operations is one of those roles. If I'm hiring someone who is maybe newer to the position, I require them to have a mentor. Um, so yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.